Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, old sports, and welcome to another edition of the Hello, Old Sports podcast on the Sports History Network. October is upon us, which means uh, probably the best sports month of the entire year. and. Front and for, uh, first and foremost, in that obviously, I don't know. I haven't been. I haven't been too thrilled with it for. Um. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the Giants. Yeah, if you're a New York sports fan, this has been. I was. I was texting with some buddies the other day, uh, some friends from high school, and it was just about how horrible, uh, n- and yet another horrible year in New York sports. Mets, Yankees, Knicks. Well, not so much the Knicks. Mets, Yankees, Jets, Giants, and then who knows what the fall sports are going to be. But yeah. The Giants are a dismal one in three. And somebody sent me a message the other day as we completely digress here that there's only two teams in all of the NFL that have not run a single offensive play while having a lead. And those two teams are the Giants and the Jets. So it's been a been a tough month so far for New York sports and New York football specifically. And New York baseball, too, mostly in the absence of it. Um but uh, we uh, we are going to uh, focus on some good things about October and uh, finish up. We got a few a uh, few really good baseball themed episodes coming your way over the next month. And we are going to start with episode five and soon on its heels, episode six of our all time starting nines for the various baseball franchises in the various divisions in Major League Baseball and up today, up up next uh, for this episode, one that is near and dear to our hearts, and that is the American League East. Yeah, and we kind of when we decided to do this, the the natural way to go was to just kind of go, well, AL East, NL East, you know, start it that way. And that's why we kind of mixed them up. And that's why two the last two we have left are, are kind of juicy ones. Although when we talk about the NL West, we'll we'll talk about some some issues. But um, yeah, this is uh, you know in a lot of ways I don't know if it's the best one to do. The NL Central had so much history in all these teams, but you know certainly just by virtue of really the top even three teams with when you consider the Orioles, um, you know you certainly have a lot of uh, a lot of all time great players to talk about. So, you know, it's it's definitely a uh, one of the better divisions to be doing. Just to recap, and I won't give the full lineups in this episode, but winners so far, the Atlanta Braves, the Detroit Tigers, the St. Louis Cardinals and the Philadelphia, Kansas City, Oakland Athletics. So those have been the four teams that have made it so far. And we are going to add a fifth here in, in just a minute. Yep, spots vacant, but we'll take care of that all right now. Um, so do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? You know, why don't I let you go first? And so I, for those who haven't listened to previous episodes, Andrew uh, will go first. He'll pick a team 
He will tell me who his starting nine are, and then we will talk about our various points of agreement and disagreement. And if there's some sort of a resolution that we need to come to, we'll we'll deal with that as well. So why don't you uh, pick a team and go ahead? All right, I'm going to start with the Orioles, actually, who carry the history of the St. Louis Browns, such as it is from the early 20th century until 1954 when they relocated to Baltimore. Very scant Brown representation in mine, at least. Um, but let's go ahead and I'll read them off. And again, we do position players, no DH and just one pitcher. So that's how we do this. Um, catcher, I have Chris Hoyles. First base, George Sisler. Second base, Bobby Gritch. Shortstop, Cal Ripken Jr. Third base, Brooks Robinson. Outfield, Frank Robinson, Paul Blair, Boog Powell. And then the pitcher is Jim Palmer. All right. So I think we are in agreement on six. No, I'm sorry. Yes, six of these. So Okay. So let me guess real quick. I'm guessing Sisler, Ripken, Robinson. Robinson and Palmer are five of them. So Sisler is actually not one of them. Oh, okay. And maybe this is where we should start because I went into this fully expecting to select George Sisler. George Sisler, who played 12 of his uh, 15 seasons with the old St. Louis Browns uh, of the American League did not appear in a, a single postseason, didn't win a single pennant, played on some very bad St. Louis teams, although they did finish second in 1922 with a uh, 93 and 61 record, uh, second only to Babe Ruth and the New York Yankees. Sisler was MVP that year in 1922. He led the league in batting average with a 420 batting average. He had hit uh, 407 two years previous. Lifetime 300, 340 batting average has uh, just short of 3,000 or not just short, but basically a, a season or so short. He's got 28, 2,812 career hits. He held, I think he held an, a, a record, a single season record for um, for hits. The 257, I believe his 257 in 1920 was... Um, was a record until 2001 when uh, when Ichiro came along. So a very good player. And actually, I, sh- I should say it. Um, Ichiro did break that record, but it wasn't until 2004. It was not in Ichiro's rookie year of 01. So I went into this fully expecting to pick George Sisler. But the more that I looked at it, the more I really sort of was moved towards Eddie Murray. So in war, which is something we've used as sort of a, a general basis for these things, Eddie Murray's war in 13 years with Baltimore was 56.5. Sisler's was in 12 years with St. Louis was 52.5. So Murray is is a little bit better there. Sisler obviously has him in batting average with a 287 average for Eddie Murray and a a 344 average for George Sisler. So he, he's got him by almost uh, almost 60 points there. But to me, the RBI's um, 962 for 
Sisler, and if I'm remembering correctly, I haven't looked at this in a few days, but Eddie Murray's got him beaten. Eddie Murray's got uh, 12, uh, 1,224 RBIs, 343 home runs for Eddie Murray to less than 100 for George Sisler. Eddie Murray was on championship and World Series teams with the Baltimore Orioles. Maybe there's a slight bias on my part towards the fact that we're talking about the Orioles and not talking about the St. Louis Browns. But I just, the more I looked at it, even though it surprised me, Eddie Murray just kind of jumped out and made the case. Well, I think with RBIs, you have to factor in the guys he was, he, he probably had a lot more RBI opportunities than George Sisler did. Sisler, obviously the leader in hits. He's also the team leader in stolen bases. Not, I mean, 351, not that that's, you know, he's got 44 more than Brady Anderson, but he is the team's all-time leader in stolen bases. He's third all-time in hits behind just Ripken and I believe, let me pull this up here, third all-time in hits behind just Ripken and Brooks Robinson. He's got... um the where is he see what was i just looking at on base percentage batting average he's second all time um he's you know significantly ahead of eddie murray there so i think when you look at the the power numbers obviously you're going to favor murray because of the era he was in but i don't know i i i don't know that the when you look at offensive war they're within two points of each other um, Sisler at 50.2, Murray 51.9. I guess I just felt if we're going to have anybody from the first, and I know Eddie Murray's a great player. He also didn't exclusively do it with the Orioles. You know, the best years of his career were with the Orioles, but he was a Dodger. He was a Met. He was an Indian. They, most of those teams at least twice. I get it, and I wouldn't argue so vehemently against Murray, but I just feel like in a in a if you factor in sort of adjusting, okay, Murray's power numbers dwarf him, but power numbers from everybody in that era. Again, Cicero also started his career in the dead ball era. It's not like he just played in the 20s and 30s when the power was exploding. You know, he had years where he hit 420 and things like that. So while I understand Murray, and I think maybe a lot of people would come down on that way, I don't know. I still think I would give it to Sisler just for his... I think George Sisler was a higher to the top in his era than Eddie Murray was in his. You might be right about that. And and I can give in on that one. Now, I will say Mm. that when we get to some of our other points of disagreement on this one, I actually do have another St. Louis Brown. But uh, okay, so I can give in on Sisler. Uh, The rest of the infield, we were in lockstep. uh, Gritch, Ripken. Brooks Robinson, Brooks Robinson, who just passed away about a week ago as we're recording Mm -hmm. this. I mean, maybe the most beloved Baltimore Oriole of all time. And we will say a lot more about him uh, towards the end of the year when we do our in memoriam. But we were in agreement there. I I obviously had Jim Palmer, Jim Palmer, who is, I think, first of all, he's still around in baseball. He's still doing color commentary for Orioles TV broadcast. So a guy who at 77 years of age is still very much involved with the team. He won three Cy Young awards in four years. 
he is one of the few players to appear in a World Series in three different decades. He has been um, on the field for every single World Series that the Baltimore Orioles have appeared in, and that's 66, 69, 70, 71, uh, 79, and uh, 83 when they won it with um, with Cal Ripken. So he is sort of Mr. Oriole. He's he played with all these guys. He played with Brooks. He played with Frank. He played with Book Powell. He played with Ripken. He was managed by Earl Weaver. He played with Eddie Murray. So if there's anybody who sort of epitomizes the Orioles, it would be Jim Palmer, in my opinion. I should also note, and it's a sort of especially poignant with Brooks Robinson passing recently. About 10 years ago, Allison and I, my wife and I, went to uh, an Oriole Red Sox game right at the end of the season, and they were doing some sort of a ceremony. And the six sort of the six Orioles with their numbers retired, the six sort of beloved guys, Frank Robinson, Brooks Robinson, Cal Ripken, Eddie Murray, Earl Weaver, and Jim Palmer each came out driven in a separate car. And we were in good seats. We were only like eight rows back from the field. And so these guys were all right in front of us. And it really, and I've learned about this more having lived in now in the Baltimore area, they really do love some of those guys. Now Weaver, both Robinsons have since passed away, but those guys are all just so beloved in Baltimore. And so we, you know, it, well, we don't have Murray. It's good that we have uh, as many of, of the others as we can have on our team. So I'm with you there. I'm with you on two of the outfielders. I was with you on Paul Blair. I was with you on Frank Robinson. So that just leaves one outfield spot. And you said you had and Chris Hoyles. No, I had Chris Hoyles a catcher. I'm sorry that I moved it in my mind. Let's let's do catcher first. And you said you had Chris Hoyles, right? Yeah, it's not very good. Their their catching history is really not very good. Uh, you know, it, I I looked at this was probably the one I looked at the longest with the Orioles. You know, and looking at all the other all time teams that people have made, and looking at Browns and things like that, I I didn't find much here. So I think this is one where I am going to push back a little bit. And I went with uh, with Rick Dempsey, who and I should also note that I'm using, uh, as I always do, Tom Stone's great, uh, great book. Now taking the field uh, baseball's all time dream teams for all 30 franchises. So Hoyles was with the Baltimore Orioles uh, basically in the 90s. He was with the team from 89 to 98, his whole career whole 10 year career never made an all-star team never won a gold glove his his career war for the the 10 years is 23.5 that's a little higher than Dempsey's 21.3 but Dempsey won a world series with the team in 83 he was also the MVP of that world series the war is close 21.3 to 23.5 Batting average, Hoyles got him by like 25 points. Hoyles has got him almost doubled in home runs. So when we're and let me look at RBIs here real quickly, although I'm guessing that neither one is uh is anything crazy. 355 for Dempsey and 449 for Hoyles. So almost a hundred more. I think I would still push to go with Dempsey because, like you said, neither guy really jumps off the page. But mm-hmm. Dempsey won a World Series, was MVP of that World Series. So I do think that there's nothing wrong with sort of in case of a tie, 
going with the guy who had the big moment. And it seems like Dempsey's regarded as a much better defensive catcher too. So yeah, I, I I'm fine with that. It's like I said, I Dempsey was the other one I considered. It's not a strong position, so I'm I'm absolutely okay with going with that. And you said you went Boog Powell in the outfield. Yes. Now I think of Powell as mostly uh first baseman. He played uh played 430 games in left field. Uh, then that's basically his whole his whole outfield career, uh, mostly at the very beginning of his career in the early 60s before moving on to first base. When that was where he was when he won his MVP yeah. award, that was where he was when the Orioles made it to three straight World Series uh, in the late 60s and early 70s. I went with a guy uh, from the St. Louis Browns by the name of Ken Williams, who is not in the Hall of Fame, but uh, was a left fielder. And it's one of these people that a lot of a lot of people think that they maybe should be in the Hall of Fame. He's a career 319 hitter and was actually a little bit a little bit higher than that in um in his St. Louis career. He hit uh he hit 150 in 1922, the year we're talking about, the year that Sisler won MVP. He had he led the American League with 39 home runs and 155 RBIs. Let me just look at the war for the two here um and incidentally i when i do this I'm, I'm sometimes going back and forth between baseball reference and tom stone's book so um uh if the war numbers are slightly different uh, i apologize 40.5 with the team for ken williams and let me see what powell's got as far as war is concerned with the team 35.5. So it's actually higher for Williams. I think the reason I would push for Williams, not just because of the slightly higher war, neither man is in the Hall of Fame. They're both sort of a step below that. But the fact that uh, Williams was an outfielder for all of his career and Powell really was not. I know that's another thing that we sort of cheat on sometimes, but I feel like it's also one of those things where maybe when it's close, we should take it into account. By the way, Ken Williams, Ruth tied a guy named Tilly Walker in 1988 when Ruth was still a pitcher for league for the league lead in home runs. 1918? 1918. Then 1919, 1920, 1921, it was Ruth. Ken Williams in 22. Ruth in 23 and 24. Bob Musial, another Yankee in 25. And then Ruth every year from 26 to 30 until him and Gehrig tied in 31. So the only non-Yankee to win this award or or non-Babe Ruth for mm-hmm. quite a while there. So the the only guy who wasn't Babe Ruth and wasn't a teammate of Babe Ruth, put it that way. Yes, 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 yes. So, yeah, I'm fine with that. I, I guess I didn't realize. I'd seen Powell listed as an outfielder a few places. I guess I didn't realize that was really concentrated early in his career. So I'm I'm fine with with uh, with going with Ken Williams. All right. So our Baltimore Orioles team, uh, Rick Dempsey, George Sisler, Bobby Gritch, Brooks Robinson, Cal Ripken Jr., Frank Robinson, Ken Williams, Paul Blair and Jim Palmer. And strong it, team. It very is a very strong st- team. It is a very strong team. We obviously we, we go long enough with these podcasts and I don't think it's spoiling anything to say that they're they're not going to win. But it'd be interesting to think about if there were divisions that maybe they, they could win or at least come close in. Yeah. Um, all right. So it's my turn. Um, why don't we go with the 
Toronto Blue Jays. And I'm going to say uh, Pat Borders, Carlos Delgado, Roberto Alomar, Yankee legend Josh Donaldson, Tony Fernandez. At third, right? At, at third. Th- correct. Correct. I write these down shortstop, third base. Mm-hmm. So that's where I was getting confused. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Tony Fernandez, Jose Bautista, Jesse Barfield, George Bell. And at pitcher, I have Roy Halladay. So we agree on seven of the nine. Um, I have the same outfield as you or infield as you. Delgado, Alomar, Fernandez, Donaldson. Alomar, yeah, he's barely there, but he's there. He's good enough. There's nobody really in in his stead to take. Batista, George Bell, I don't think there's much discussion on. Roy Halladay, no no discussion there. So the two I had different, you said you had Jesse Barfield in the outfield, right? Correct. So I went with Vernon Wells in the outfield, and it was close between him and Barfield. Um, let me just pull up the Blue Jays all-time, the top 50. So if you have anything handy on that while I'm pulling up that, but that's who I went with. I was between those two also. Barfield, nine years, 29.5 war. Vernon Wells, 12 years, 28.7 war. I I really see that. I really feel that maybe I just probably went with like the slightly higher war. Vernon Wells, definitely um, the better power numbers, uh, although really not not by a ton. I mean, nine nine years, 179 homers for Barfield, which averages to just under 20 a year. Uh, with Wells, it's 12 years and 223 home runs, which actually is less. It's less than 20 a year. Um, average 280 versus 265. Um, he won three gold glove awards with the Blue Jays. I don't know if Barfield um, Barfield won two gold glove awards. Um, you know who he was traded for the Yankees to the Yankees for in 1989? I don't know. Al Leiter. So just a name that oh, would, would okay. later come back in in Yankee history. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is really, really close. I don't know. Um, I, yeah, I just don't. I, uh, Vernon Wells had more steals. I don't know. Vernon Wells played center field, and we already have a right fielder in Bautista. I, this is a pick em for me. Flip a coin. I'm I'm good with whatever. And the baseball egg one doesn't help us because they have both of them and made Jose Bautista a third baseman, um, which doesn't really help us solve this at all. You know, and I thought about doing that, but I just Bautista did not have much actual time at third base at all. I I was double checking these this afternoon and I I tried to get there with that and I just couldn't. And, you know, even though Yankee fans might have a certain opinion of Josh Donaldson, the guy did win an MVP when he was on Toronto and. I don't know. I don't want to. I don't think any of these. I don't I think that that might be the only position player in Toronto ever to win an MVP. So I, I feel like we almost have to keep Donaldson on there. So I agree. I agree. Um, I guess let's go with Barfield. I, uh, you know, I don't what I don't have a particular reason, but I guess let's go with Jesse Barfield. All right. And then it sounds like based on what you said that you also disagreed at catcher. Yeah, and who did you have? I had Pat Borders, and I have sort of so a... I was, 
Go ahead. Go ahead. I went with Ernie. I went with Ernie Witt. Uh, Tom Stone in his book also went with Ernie Witt. Um, Ernie Witt by far had the most seasons with the team. 12 years, only a, a 19.3 war in those 12 seasons. So a, a less than two war. Let me see with Witt. If I want to see just kind of what his, you know, did he ever make an all-star? He was a one-time all-star. He's got a great mustache. Uh, and it looks like he was a left-handed hitter too. Uh, the reason I went with Borders, Borders was never, and this is sort of very similar to what I went with with Rick Dempsey. Borders, never an all-star, never a gold glover. Witt was not ever a gold glover either. But Borders was the catcher for two both of the Blue Jays World Series appearances and titles in their whole history. Plus, he was MVP of, I think it was the, the first one, if I'm remembering correctly. I think he was the MVP of the 92 World Series. Yeah, the very first one. In that 92 World Series against Atlanta, he had 450. Um, Jesus. Yeah, not great power numbers, but that's that incidentally, if you're interested in a little trivia. If the Braves had won that World Series, most people think that Deion Sanders would have been the MVP of that uh, of that series because he had like five hundred. And Pat Borders would, and Pat Borders would be the head football coach at Colorado now, probably. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I guess I would push for Borders just because he it, there's mediocrity there, and he was a World Series MVP, one of only two in franchise history. So that's where I would go with it. All right, I'm 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 willing to go there. I'm willing to go with uh, with Borders as well. We we agreed on seven of them. We agreed that Barfield and what, really the catcher and the third outfielder were really splitting hairs. So especially with Borders, I, I think I agree with you. You go with the guy. I didn't realize he was had that kind of a World Series. So, incidentally, Tony Fernandez four different stints with the Toronto Blue Jays in his career. So he makes it on, if not for anything else than just for longevity. So. Pat Borders, Carlos Delgado, Roberto Alomar, Josh Donaldson, Tony Fernandez, Jose Bautista, Jesse Barfield, George Bell, and the Hall of Famer Roy Halladay. So just real quick, uh, two, two Hall of Famers on this team, Alomar and, Alomar and Halladay. The previous one had Palmer, Robinson, Ripken, Robinson, Sislers. They got five. So, all right. So um, you are up next. And uh, where do you want to take us next? I'm going to go with the Rays here just, just to do it this way. So we had the Yankees, and the Red Sox last. I wrote a note here. I did this a couple of weeks ago and I was trying to figure out what my <laughs> note meant. And I, I realized what it is now. The Rays were, were one of the more infuriating ones to do for this because, you know, okay, you're looking at all, you're searching the internet, all time teams, whatever. If somebody made it for the Yankees or the Red Sox or even a team like the, Royals or whatever, if they made this in 2015, you can still use it. You can't use anything that's more than two years old for the Rays. They all have to be like brand new lists or it's like it's basically useless. You know, the the Rays, most of the Rays have, the Rays have existed entirely within the internet era. I don't think there was a lot of all-time Rays teams being put up in 2003, but like you could find ones for most of their history. So you really need to, you know, there's so much less source material in more ways than one. I think I have a book of all-time teams somewhere that is from like 2003. I think it's Rob Nyers or Nayers, however he pronounces his name, big mm -hmm. book of baseball lineups. And there's an all-time race team. And it's like 
Boggs and Jose Canseco and some of those guys. The other thing, too, is that although, even though they're out on their butts already in this postseason on, uh, you know, 730 on October 4th, they've been so good the last five or six years, including even a trip to the World Series three years ago. So you really do have to keep it updated uh, as far as what's uh, what's going on. So and even like the book that I have, I think, was written after the 18 season. So like you said, for most of the teams, it's perfect. You just have to do a little bit of checking up. But for this one, not so much. So let, let, let's have it. All right. And I, the second note I have here with Jason. So the catcher I have is Jason Bartlett. And my parentheses say made as as. I'm assuming one of those as's means all-star. Um, first base, Carlos Pena. Second base, Ben Zobrist. Shortstop, Julio Lugo. Third baseman, Evan Longoria. Outfielders, Carl Crawford, Kevin Kiermeyer, BJ Upton. And my pitcher is David Price. And if, you had, if you're in agreement with me, anywhere between three and eight of these, I wouldn't be surprised. Well, then you're not going to be surprised because I am in agreement with you on eight of them. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, David Price. Uh, it was really, really close for me between David Price and Blake Snell. And I just let me just pull up a quick, quick comparison here. Both were on World Series teams. Uh, Snell was in, on this team in 2020. Was Snell the one? And I, I really should remember this, but I kind of think I've blocked all 2020 sports out of my mind. Snell was the one that they pulled in that last game of the World Series against the Dodgers, even though he was pitching so well, right? That sounds right. Yeah. Now he's with the Padres. So Snell won. Snell won a Cy Young with the Rays in 2018 with a really great year, 21 and five and a 1.89 ERA. Price also won a. Also won a Cy Young in 2012 with a an almost as good year. He also led the American League in both wins this uh, with 20 and five record and a 2.56 ERA. He later went on to sign with the Red Sox and um, ended up missing time because he injured himself playing Xbox. But that's uh, that's a story for another time. So, and he was a durable guy with Tampa too. You know, I'm seeing starts of 31, 34, 31, 34. It was really close for me between these two guys. Uh, 82 and 47 record for Price in his time with Tampa. Snell, I think, um, maybe as a function of the fact that uh, he, there was a COVID year and he had some injuries, uh, he was only 42 and 30. So if you're looking for one dominant season, it's Snell. But if you're looking for a lot of really good years with the Tampa Bay Rays, it's, uh, it's David Price. So that was where I went there. Yeah, and he was... I don't know if it was he was like their ace when they started to get good. Like, honestly, that would be an interesting thing to do one time is the an episode on the 2008 Rays. Like that was so out of nowhere. They had been in the league 10 years and lost 100 and however many games every year. And all of a sudden they're in the World Series. Like, um, I think my favorite so story about that team is that casinos in Las Vegas stopped giving like crazy odds for teams to win championships. Like they <laughs> used to give odds or make the world series or something like that. Like they give an odd, like that the Tampa Bay rays would win, you know, 
would you know be like five thousand to one underdogs. Mm -hmm. Five thousand to one, yeah. You know, be five thousand one odds. So somebody'd make a hundred dollar bet, they'd win fifty thousand dollars. So and it's like, like, are you are you are you really are are you going to get that many less people if it's five hundred to one odds? But you won't have to, you know what I mean? Like you'll still get people putting down money on a long shot, but if you do have to pay it out, it's not going to be, you know six figures or whatever and i misspoke a hundred dollar bet would have brought you five hundred thousand dollars not fifty thousand dollars so wow um yeah so i you know longoria somebody else we should probably mention he's probably the best position player in ray's history he was the first guy to be really good on the team he came up in 08 uh, as a as a rookie he was rookie of the year on that team that made it all the way to the World Series against Philly in 2008. And then I was with you on Crawford, Kiermaier, and on B.J. Upton. So God, was- Kiermaier was a phenomenal defender, by the way. Yeah, he won a bunch of gold gloves, right? I, that sounds, yeah. I, I knew he used to rob the Yankees constantly. <laughs> but three, Three-time gold gloves. He's also listed as having won a platinum glove on baseball reference, which I have to admit, I do not know what that is. I think um, that's the best overall fielder of mm-hmm. the year, probably in each league, but mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, he, he's a good player. Just, just left the team to, to go to Toronto at the beginning of this past, uh, this past season, which means that he, unlike uh, his former race teammates is still alive in the postseason. season. Um, you want to check that again? Toronto's not in the postseason, are they? That not as of 25 minutes ago. Um, oh, did they just lose to Minnesota? Were, they lost to Minnesota. Yes. Oh, oh, I didn't realize that game was over. Okay. That's um okay. We can leave that in. <laughs> I, I I thought I had made up that they weren't in the postseason. Like, I'm sure they were. I thought I was watching them today. So yeah, they're in or they're out now. But um, so who did you have as your catcher? Because that's the one place we disagreed. I had Jason Bartlett. So I had Dion or Navarro who uh, was on the team. Uh, he actually got, he, I didn't even remember this. He came up with the Yankees. He was on Tampa Bay for one, two, three, four, five years, won a gold glove award. He was the catcher on the 08 team that went to the world series. Total war for him in, uh, in those seasons was, am I reading this right? His war for the all the seasons was 1.9. Ugh. All right. This might be one where I give in to you. Bart, you said Bartlett. Yeah, let me pull this up. Jason um, Bartlett. Okay. Jason Bartlett, also a one-time all-star. Uh, was on the team. He was also on the these guys were both on the 08 team, it looks like. They were teammates. Only with the Rays do you get two guys who are teammates at the same position uh, competing for the same spot. And some one of these guys must have p- played another position because Bartlett uh, appeared in um, 128 games in 2008 and Navarro appeared in 120. So, yeah, at least one of those guys must have. Um, oh, wait, you said Jason Bartlett? Hang on. I might have written this down wrong. He's like a shortstop, isn't he? Yeah. Did I fill this in wrong? 
who the heck is their all-time catcher? It's very possible that, that, that I just this was the end of this and I just was tired of it. Um <laughs> and I was looking at and I was looking at the wrong page. Um all-time rate. Did I mean did somebody you mean, else? Did you mean Toby Hall? Very possibly. Let's just go with the guy you wrote because he seems like an actually he played that position. Yeah, let me just look up Toby Hall real quick here. Never an all-star. I didn't uh, do that on purpose, but I I I probably did it. It was probably the last one I had listed. And yeah, like it was probably the. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to do it for a team, the race catcher is probably the place to do it. I would. Yeah. I mean, Toby Hall's got a higher war, but first of all, you didn't name Toby Hall. You named a shortstop. And second of all, Deonor Navarro was the catcher on that team that made the world series was a one-time all-star, which Toby Hall didn't do. So I'm, I'm comfortable with, with sticking with Navarro if you're good with it. Yeah, I think I might have meant John Jaso. Uh Jaso Jason. I think that might be where that came from. Um but yeah, let's let's go with the guy who actually played the position and not the guy I just you know what I actually now that I'm remembering, I thought I was done. This was the last team of the 10 that I had done. And I realized at the end I didn't have a catcher listed. So I think I that's that would be my haste there. So um, yes, let's let's go with uh, what's his name? Deonor Navarro. Deonor Navarro. Yes. So our Rays uh, starting nine, Deonor Navarro, Carlos Pena, Ben Zobrist, Evan Longoria, Julio Lugo, Carl Crawford, Kevin Kiermeyer, BJ Upton and David Price. And I believe it's my turn. Yes, we have the Yankees and the Red Sox left, so we will be stepping up in class. I dropped my pen. Hold on. All right. I had Jason Bartlett again on both of these teams, too. Um, All right. So I'm going to go with the Yankees. And we should also note that in one of our very first episodes, we did an all-time Yankees starting uh, all-time 30 team, 30 all-time 30 man. Yankees roster and all-time 30-man New York National League roster. So picking this Yankee team was very similar to picking that team. And here's what I went with. Yogi Berra, Lou Gehrig, Tony Lazari, A-Rod at third base, Derek Jeter at short, Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle, and Joe DiMaggio in the outfield, and Whitey Ford at pitcher. The only one I had difference was I had Joe Gordon at second, but you can definitely talk me into Lazari. No question about Berra over over Dickey. Gehrig, there's no question. Jeter's, you know, one of the best shortstops of all time in terms of offense. He's up there in hits. A-Rod, as you know, whatever you want to say about A-Rod, the guy won multiple MVPs. I'm sorry, he's a better all. He had a better career just as a Yankee than Greg Nettles did. Uh, you know, that's sort of one regret. You don't really have any 70s, late 70s representation on this team, but find me a spot where one should go. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's, and, then there's... The out- and then the outfield, there's just no question. Ruth, Mantle, DiMaggio, I mean, three all-time greats. The pitcher, Whitey Ford, you know, none of the more modern guys did it for long enough. Ford won a Cy Young in 61. He was third in MVP in 63. Career postseason ERA of, and that, you know, with uh, quite a large sample size, career postseason ERA is 2.71. Um, 
you know, playing a lot of those games at Yankee Stadium and Ebbets Field, which were not exactly pitcher friendly parks, you know, just really not too much from a question standpoint. I think I went with Gordon just by virtue of him winning the MVP in 49. Right. That was the year he won the MVP, wasn't it? 42. Or did I write 42? Oh, yeah. No, yeah, now I can't read my writing. Yep. 42. 42 was the year that Ted Williams won the triple crown and still did not win the MVP. In case you think that writers allowing their biases to factor into their MVP vote just started with um, just started sometime in the last 20 or 30 years. No, Ted Williams, triple crown winner, 1942. Uh, Joe Gordon still uh, still was named the MVP of the league. So that uh, that that happened even then. So um, real quick on Barrett and Dickey, I had Barrett too. The thing that kind of does it for Barrett is a couple things. First of all, three MVPs. He won MVPs in 51, 54, and 55. And Yankee fans, even Yankee fans, I should say, there's often this idea that maybe, you know, kind of went right from Mantle to Demag or from DiMaggio to Mantle. When the fact of the matter is, and I've said this on this podcast before, I'm sure, the player who was the glue of those five championship teams in a row from 49 to 53 was really Yogi Berra because DiMaggio was getting old. And then in his first couple of years, Mantle was a promising young star, but hadn't become the mantle that he would become. And so you got Berra winning an MVP in 51, winning an MVP in 54, winning an MVP in 55. And then by the mid fifties, Mantle is really starting to starting to take over. So, that's it with Barra for me. The winning, I mean, Barra's 10 World Series, the only, I think the only player in North American sports who has more, na, more championships than Barra is Bill Russell. And I, I think that Sam Jones, Russell's teammate, might also have 10. I don't know if mm. there's somebody in hockey who also has 10, but the only guy with more, the only guy with 11 is Russell. And so... Now, Dickie, no slouch himself. Dickie won eight. But and actually the, the, the batting numbers, you'd think that Barrow would be a lot higher. But Dickie's actually got a Dickie batted over 300 for his career. Barrett did not. The offensive numbers are very, very close. It's hard to quantify defense because the gold glove didn't come along in the late 50s. And by that point, Dickie had, you know, hadn't played in, in 15 years. And Barrow was was very much nearing the end of his career. So. It is very, very close and maybe not as close, maybe closer than some people think it is. There's probably a lot of people who think that Barra is just a no brainer, but it's I think it's Barra by a by a nose. And by the way, I was wrong. I, it, it, Tony Lazaro is the second baseman. I I, I I, I should not have written Gordon in. You look at Lazare, he's got him beat longevity wise. You know, you got, yeah, the one MVP in a war, you know, in a war, uh, one of the World War II seasons. I, it, it, it is Lazare. I, I, I don't know what overtook me there. Uh, but, you know, it, I think it definitely is Lazare. Yeah, he was on the team longer 12 versus seven, mm. higher batting average 293 versus 271. Power numbers, home runs are similar. Let me, the book doesn't actually have RBIs. Uh, Lazari's probably got him in RBIs because Lazari was well known for, for being a, a really good RBI guy. So yeah, I, I think Lazari is the right call there. So we were, we were very much, uh, very much uh, in lockstep with this, except for 
for one. And so it's uh, Yogi Berra, Lou Gehrig, Tony Lazari, Alex Rodriguez, Derek Jeter, Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio, and Whitey Ford. And that just brings us to the Boston Red Sox. All right. So um, it's my turn, right? Indeed. All right. Carlton Fisk at catcher. First baseman is Ortiz. Second baseman, Bobby Dorr. Shortstop, Nomar. Third base, Wade Boggs. Outfield, Ted Williams. Tris Speaker, Carl Yastrzemski. And then the pitcher, Pedro Martinez. We disagree on two. Okay. Let's start with second base. You had Bobby Dorr. Mm-hmm. I went Pedroia. Yeah, that's. There's probably a little biased in there just because I, I never watched Bobby Dorr play. He probably didn't have that look on his face when he played. <laughs> um, so that's probably why I went with him. But I, I agree that Pedroia is a reasonable choice there. Yeah, but but I don't want to dismiss Bobby Dorr either. So nine time all star door. He is probably a deserving Hall of Famer. Let me look on baseball reference at his, you know, he's like he's one of these guys who a lot of his Hall of Fame numbers are well below what you would expect. There's a, a you know, if, if you're a, a sort of a student of the Hall of Fame and the Veterans Committee, there was a period uh, during the um, I believe it was during the 70s and 80s. I don't. I, I don't have in front of me here. Uh, 86. Yeah. So in the seventies and eighties where Ted Williams kind of took over the veterans committee and used it as the impetus to get a lot of his uh, friends and former teammates in the hall of fame. It's widely considered that Bobby door might be one of those. So the guy still, you know, he was an eight time all-star uh, spent his whole career with the Red Sox, just like Pedroia. He's got a lifetime batting average of 288. Pedroia has got a higher average of 299. Let's look at the wars. Uh, 51.9 for Pedroia. 51.4 for 51.4 for Bobby Dorr. And that's 14 seasons for... God, it's 14 seasons for each guy, too. That's really close. Um, Bobby Dorr never came close to an MVP. The closest he came in the voting. I don't think that's accurate. Okay, so third, third and forty-six. Okay, so that's mm. not that's not terrible. And I think I think it was Williams that won it in forty-six. So he finished uh, in the top ten a bunch of times too. True, Pedroia. God, you know, Pedroia only appeared in MVP voting three times, three different years. Here's basically what I think this is going to be. If you want to go longevity, it's Bobby Dorr. If you want to go, um, sort of peak, couple of really good seasons, and if you somehow want to factor in championships, then to me it's Pedroia. So it's it's really really close. It's really what's close. the other what's the other disagreement? The other disagreement I have with you is I had I had Clemens. Over Pedro? Yeah. Uh, should, should we settle this one first? Yeah, let's settle this one first. Um, it is funny, by the way, to be using who won Cy Young's as a way 
to determine who gets this when actual Cy Young is in the discussion on the exactly. Red Sox. Um, I got 90 years worth of Cy Youngs. <laughs> who said that? He could say that. Oh, I thought it was like something he actually said. Um, no, I don't think they named it after until he died. Oh, okay. I'm pulling up Pedro's. Go ahead. I guess. Do you, do we want to go door here just because he's in the hall of fame, even if he maybe doesn't necessarily deserve it. And Pedroia won't even come close to sniffing the hall of fame. Yeah. Before we get to pitchers, any issue with Ortiz as a first baseman, he's got to be on the team. I think you got to give it to him there. Yeah, and you, Yastrzemski, who played a, a lot of both, you could easily move him to the outfield with the other two. I, I I was close between trying to figure out a way to get Jim Rice on there, who had some really good years in the 70s, including an MVP season in 78 and played in a, for a very long time with the Red Sox. But you you couldn't kick Ted Williams off, obviously. You really, p- people don't realize how great of a center fielder Tris Speaker was. He was also on our all-time Cleveland team. And um, and I, I thought Yastrzemski, uh, for all that he did, triple crown winner, all that stuff, had to be on there. So, yeah, I mean, Ortiz, should he have been a first ballot Hall of Famer? Maybe not, but you had to have him on there as the leader of those teams. And, yeah, I, I you had, and if he was going to be, the guy was a DH, just like Edgar Martinez for Seattle. You can't pretend he wasn't a DH, but the rules that we've set up mean that you got to find a position for him. And I was surprised Nomar makes it not that he doesn't deserve to, but I wouldn't have thought as I'm looking at this, I wouldn't have thought to, like, if you asked me, is was he the best shortstop all time in Red Sox history? I'd have been like, I don't know, probably not. He didn't have the career he was supposed to, but it is Nomar. Yeah, it is. It is. All right. Shall we do pitching? So Pedro, three Cy Youngs in four years. Well, the, the first, the, one, the was first one was Montreal, in Montreal. But... Okay. So two Cy Youngs in 99 and 2000. Clemens, seven career Cy Youngs, three with Boston. Clemens was in Boston for 13 years. Pedro, essentially half that um, seven years. Let me see game started here. 201 for Pedro, 382 for Clemens. Clemens was on the Red Sox longer. He won more Cy Youngs. ERA 3.06 in Boston. Pedro's is is half a run lower. It's 2.52. I feel like Pedro probably put up more seasons in Boston when he was head and shoulders above everybody else. But I also feel like it didn't necessarily last super long. So why don't you make the case for, for Pedro? So Pedro from 98 to 04 is a Red Sox, except for 01 where he's hurt. Second in Cy Young, first in Cy Young, first in Cy Young, that he's hurt in 01. 02, he's second. He's third in 03. He's fourth in 04. He pitches in three postseasons for them. He wins a World Series in 03. He's. This is not easy for me to say. That run he had is the closest thing we've seen to Sandy Koufax over a seven or eight year period. Into 
factoring in the era. I mean, some of those numbers I was just reading were 1999, 2000, 2001, 2002, the steroid era pitching in the American League East and pitching to a let's just go through the ERAs by year here. If I can pull that up ERA by I'll do the records in ERAs the years he was with the Red Sox. 20 or excuse me, 98. He was 19 and seven with a 2.89. 99, he's 23 and four with a 2.07. 2018 and six with a 1.74 ERA in 2000. 01, he's hurt, but he's still seven and three, but 239. 02, 20 and four, 2.26. 03, 14 and four, 2.22. And then 04, 16 and nine with a 3.90. So that's the only year he's as a Red Sox that his ERA is above three. It's his only year as a Red Sox that his ERA is above 2.3. He was the best pitcher in baseball year in and year out for eight years or seven years that he was a Red Sox. If we're going to talk about numbers, then yeah, Clemens was better. If we're going to talk about, and this is one of those, it doesn't really have an answer, you know, because it's like, it's not, Oh, who would you want to win one game? Because then you could go with, you know, you could go with a guy who was on the team for one year. It's not, well, who has the most wins? It's one of the most dominant pitchers in baseball over a, 15 year span versus the most dominant pitcher in baseball over an eight year span. I don't really know how to quantify that, but I think Pedro is the guy. Clemens was an 80.8 war in his 13 years. So that's like what just over six. And that's and war for pitching is a little bit wonky. Sometimes Pedro but it's going to be wonky the same way, probably. So Pedro was 53.8 in seven years. So he was at like seven and a half. So yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, maybe I'm slight. I won't fight you on it if you want to go with Clemens, but I, I, this isn't one where I'm going to say, oh, I agree. You're right. I just won't fight you on it if you want to go with Clemens. Yeah. I mean, Clemens was, I'm sort of feel the same way and that I don't know how much I would fight it. I I'm fine with Pedro. It, it th- Those few years. The only thing that would have made those few years better is if he had won a championship when he was sort of already on the downward slope in 04, when they won that championship. In fact, he left for the Mets the following year. Cause that's what, you know, old players do once they uh, have already won a championship, they go play for the Mets, but I he was all right with the Mets. No, he's actually was- no it was pretty good with the Mets. Yeah, that that's funny. That that's another team that's like, you know, there's a story or something there. You figure that that 0506 Met team with with him, Glavin, I think El Duque was on that team. It was, you know, you got some really interesting and then even in the lineup, Cliff Floyd, Beltran. It was really a very interesting uh, couple of years for those Mets teams with Willie Randolph as the manager. They blew some pennants too. So yeah, you know what? I, I can accept Pedro. I can accept Pedro. So, all right. So y- you talked me out of two there. So our final our final nine for the Red Sox, Carlton Fisk, David Ortiz, Bobby Doerr, Wade Boggs, Nomar Garcia-Para, Ted Williams, Carl Yastrzemski, Tris Speaker, and 
Pedro Martinez. Um, we usually rank these, and I actually don't think it's going to be that difficult. No, razor, razor five. Blue Jays are four. Blue Jays are four. Baltimore is three. Baltimore might be the best three. We haven't gone like, but they're the might be the best three, but they're also a distant three. Yeah, we've had some good threes. Uh, the the Washington team that we were surprised about was a good three. Cincinnati was a good three. The White Sox were a good three. We've had some good threes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's Red Sox two, Yankees one. Yes, I have two questions for you. One of which I meant to raise when we were doing the Yankees, and one of which is 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 you know more general. He's not close, obviously. Is Judge the number four outfielder for the Yankees right now? Well, let's talk out who some of them would be. Reggie was only there five years. Judge has already been there longer. Mm-hmm. Now, Reggie, you know, Reggie <laughs> hit the three home runs in game seven and 77. Yeah. And you might have heard about it. Um, Maris obviously had some very, very good years. Bernie Williams was there a long time, won a batting title, won all those. Uh, Mm-hmm. You know, won all those um, World Series. You know, I might have Bernie four at this point. I, I'd have to think through it, but at, you're right. I think Judge gets him. I think it's anybody from older eras that I'm not thinking of that would belong in the discussion. Earl Combs, who was the center fielder on the Yankees of the 20s and 30s and is in the Hall of Fame. He's another one. But let me put it this way. I strongly feel that if, you know, if, if DiMaggio or Mantle or Ruth had never existed, putting aside the fact that the Yankees wouldn't be the Yankees, blah, blah, blah. And we were doing this right now. We'd pick Judge. We would pick Judge. Maybe, yeah. Maybe with a slight degree of recency bias, but we'd pick Judge. Now. How many home runs would he have to end up with to end up on this list? Well, you know, it's funny. He's probably to pass what would to pass what would probably be Joe DiMaggio. Um, so he's probably already got more home runs than DiMaggio. DiMaggio had three hundred and sixty-one career home runs. Okay, Judge has got two fifty-seven, so he's not passing. But, but no, but I'm not. I'm not saying how how many home runs would he have to get to pass somebody. I'm saying. I mean, obviously, other he does other things as a player, but like, is it possible for him to have a better career than Joe DiMaggio? Is it already too late? I'm not saying probable or likely or anything, but like, if the guy hits 700 home runs, would that put him over Joe DiMaggio? <laughs> not that hit, I think he's going. If he hits 700, yeah. If he hits 600, probably. The hard thing with DiMaggio is two things. First of all, the war. And he not the wins above replacement. Well, he was. Oh, never. Damn it. I was going to make a dumb joke, but you were actually talking about the thing I was going to make a dumb joke about. <laughs> the fact that he served just three. Be, just because he was Italian doesn't mean he was on the other side. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, so that's that's the one thing is that how much do you count those three years, which were definitely in his prime because he won an MVP in the early 40s. He won an MVP in the late 40s, so it's not crazy to assume. There's a book by Joe Posnanski, who you've probably heard out, that came um, it came out about a year and a half ago, two years ago now, called The Baseball 100, where he lists you know 100 greatest baseball players of all time. 
And he makes a point that it's a really good point. He's like, the difference between injuries and other things is that guys don't stop being great players just because they're not playing. And he put it in the context of segregation, but he also took it, put it in the context of World War II. Williams, DiMaggio, Feller, those guys didn't stop being great players just because they weren't able to play. So that's the hard thing with DiMaggio. The other hard thing with DiMaggio, and Mantle too for that matter, but I think DiMaggio would be the first one to fall off, is the winning. You know, now I know it's a different era and it's all that stuff. And this is maybe where we get a little bit of arrogant Yankee fans going, but like winning championships. Right now we're being arrogant against against another Yankee. So it's <laughs> but winning championships is such an essential element of what it means to be a great Yankee that if it was close, Judge would have to outpace him by a considerable amount. That was just a thing that popped in my head. I'm not suggesting it's going to happen or that it's close. I'm just saying it's, you know, it was just a thought that was in my head. And my other question is, and I think I'm wrong about this because this is this might be, although the Yankees with A-Rod's steroid, this Yankee team, were it not for A-Rod's issues, might be the only one with nine Hall of Famers. Nine guys who would be in the Hall of Famers based just on their numbers. I'm not going to go back and look at the last four weeks that, or four episodes that we've done, but um, Nomar never makes it. So the Red Sox mm. only have eight. And I don't know, there might have been one or two other teams. But there were places where I thought the Red Sox team was closer to the Yankees than I thought. I think Pedro blows Whitey Ford out of the water. Um, mm. Williams is better than Mantle or DiMaggio, probably. Um, and Speaker, the, the outfield is a lot closer than you might think. I, I, I don't know. Speaker's not better than DiMaggio. I don't know that Williams isn't better than Mantle. Where they lose is shortstop, where Jeter, despite the fact that they were considered sort of equals for a little while, Jeter's obviously so much better than Nomar. Uh, Gehrig, Gehrig gets it over Ortiz by a decent amount. Um, Fisk only played half his career with the Red Sox, even if it was the best half of his career. So, it's not, I won't make an argument for Boston, but it's closer than you might think. It's close, but it's not by a hair either. I agree. It's a, it's a 10 point victory in football. I'm a giant fan. I don't know what those are like. So, um, so our final Yankees. victories are victories are 10 point margins. Um, so Yogi Berra, Lou Gehrig, Tony Lazari, Alex Rodriguez, Derek Jeter, Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio, Whitey Ford are number one for the New York Yankees, joining the Detroit Tigers, the Atlanta Braves, the St. Louis Cardinals, and the Oakland Athletics in our five victors so far. I'm not going to go through the lineups of all the teams that have won because we'll do that all on our next episode. But this was fun, and uh, we're going to take a little break and uh, record our NL West episode, and you'll hear that one probably uh, you know a week or so after you hear this one. So uh, thanks for joining us. This has been fun. And until the NL West, I'm Dan Newman. And I'm Andrew Newman. Goodbye, old sports. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, 
and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. With every race, every qualifying run, and every pit stop, Tim Coffeen would feel the pressure and excitement. With his own podcast on the Sports History Network called Tim Coffeen Talks IndyCar and Racing History, Tim will share those very same racing emotions and memories with his listeners. Learn, laugh, and enjoy the world of IndyCar racing through the eyes of Tim Coffeen. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.